Peak. How are we doing this morning, 9 o'clock? It is good to be with you once again. And so welcome to those of you that come each and every week. Welcome to those of you that are joining us for the very first time. Welcome to those of you that are here for the first time in a long time. To all of you, welcome to Rocky Peak this weekend. My name is Dre. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I'm going to lead us in that time. But before we do, in case you thought the announcements were over, I got stuff too. Because we got some awesome things coming up. Hey, the first thing I want to remind you of is we've got an encounter service coming up on Wednesday, January 31st at 7 p.m. in this building. Encounter is a very special time where we gather together as a church in worship, in prayer, together to seek God's leading. And in particular, as we gather together under this Hearing God initiative, we go, God, we want to hear your voice clear so that we could take that with us everywhere we go. So again, that's Wednesday night, January 31st, 7 p.m. And it's going to be like our last encounter. We're not going to be doing childcare. We're going to have our students, instead of meeting Wildlife and Revolution, we're inviting them to come here to be with us. And we're going to be doing a three-day life group study that's week, where there's going to be a short video and some questions to be able to answer. So I hope you can join us for that. And the second thing I want to highlight is this coming Friday, Michael's going to be emailing out the next ministry update letter with a lot of information about this upcoming season, in particular, information about the proposed budget and elder board for 2024, which we're going to take a quick vote on at the encounter service itself. And so... I'm gonna go ahead and lead us in the time of prayer, but before I do, I wanna invite you as I pray, I'm gonna specifically pray for our high school ministry. Some of you might be aware, they're currently at their annual winter camp right now. There's 125 high school kids up in the Big Bear area that have chosen to take a weekend out of their lives to just go and pursue Jesus. And so the best thing we can do as the adults in the church is to stand with them in prayer, amen? Let's go to the Lord. Jesus, thank you for what's happening right now in in Big Bear. Thank you for Tim and his leadership. Thank you for those volunteers that chose to take a weekend out of their lives to serve, to be present, to impact these teenagers. Jesus, I know full well the power of what you can do at camp. It was at a summer camp through Rocky Peak when I was 15 years old that I met you for the first time. Jesus, so we pray right now as they're going into their last full day, change lives, break chains, Jesus, become evident and visible. These are world changers. These are not going to be world changers. These are world changers now. And so Jesus, as you continue to give them more and more an outpouring of your spirit, may they be a catalyst for a change in their families, a change on their school campuses, a change in their neighborhoods, in their extracurriculars, wherever it is they go, let them not come back the same as how they went. And as we go into this time of teaching Jesus, as I often pray, I pray the beautiful words of John the Baptist. I pray that I as a communicator become much, much less. And I pray that you, King Jesus, become much, much more. And it's in your name, King Jesus, we all said, amen. Amen. When I was 26 years old, I learned a very valuable lesson. I learned that having been raised in Southern California, what I understood to be a rainstorm is not what the rest of the country understands to be a rainstorm. 
And so as I take you back, in May of 2008, I flew to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was joining a friend out there and accompanying him as he was driving back home to the San Fernando Valley. And it was a beautiful day as we got there. And as evening came around, we're getting ready to start the journey back home. And one of his classmates came up to us and said, hey, did you guys hear that there's a tornado warning? It looks like the weather is going to change. And again, we were really confused by that because it still was clear skies. It still looked really nice. And so we're sitting there going, what's the big deal? I've seen the movie Twister. If there is a tornado, it's big. You just don't drive, at, drive in that direction. Now hear me, that sounds like arrogance, and I'm sure there was, but it was also just being naive to the reality of the situation. And so we went ahead and left as scheduled, and we were only 30, 40 minutes into our drive where everything changed all of a sudden. Again, not really having experiences outside of Southern California, I had never experienced that sudden weather change that some of you are familiar. Because all of a sudden, we found ourselves not just with cloudy skies, but we found ourselves in thunder and lightning, and not SoCal thunder and lightning, real thunder and lightning. All of a sudden, we found ourselves in a torrential downpour of rain. All of a sudden, that rain then became hail, and we couldn't see more than a foot or two in front of our cars. And I remember we pulled off to the side of the road, and legitimately, we were scared. We had never experienced anything like this, and in my heart, my sentiment was, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And when you think about it, that's kind of what storms do, isn't it? That storms take what we thought we knew and it kind of flips it upside down, turns it on its head. And as I share this story, it makes us think about the fact that often we use storms as a metaphor to talk about life, don't we? We often talk about certain seasons in life as that we are going through or we are experiencing a storm. And that's an incredible, incredibly relatable metaphor for so many of us. Because often when we describe the storms of life, we're describing something that rocks us or something that knocks life off course, something that changes life as we knew it. And storms can come for a variety of reasons. Sometimes the storms in life are due to pain, are due to hardship, are due to suffering. Sometimes the storms in life related to that are due to the unexpected or the unknown. Sometimes the storms in life are due to our sin and our rebellion and the consequences and the destruction that that brings about. And there's many of us as I talk this morning that you stepped into this place this morning and you would say, I am in the midst of a storm and I don't know what to do. And so let's go ahead and let's talk truth. On this side of heaven, storms are unavoidable. Man, I don't know about you, but I feel like I have put so much effort, I've put so many resources, I've put so much time and emotional energy behind trying to avoid storms in life. But the truth of the matter is we live in a world that has been broken by sin on this side of heaven. Storms are unavoidable. I bet that's the feel-good truth you woke up excited to hear at church, right? But we're here to talk about truth. But storms are unavoidable but it's often in storms that we experience God's leadership 
that leads us to experience more in who Jesus is. And it's amazing how because of that leadership in our lives, we can experience beauty even in the midst of our most violent storms. And that's what we're going to unpack this morning. And so if you're joining us for the first time, again, welcome. And this is the last week in a three-week mini-series we've been in called Greater Things. And the heart behind this series is that God has more for your story than you realize, and that more is experienced through the person of Jesus. And so two weeks ago, Joel set a wonderful foundation for this series in which he unpacked Ephesians chapter four, verses 14 through 21. And in that passage, we see that when we root ourselves deeper in the love of Jesus is when we experience the more, the greater things that God has for us. And last week, together, we looked at the Apostle Paul's teaching to a young pastor named Timothy, in which he taught us that to root ourselves means that we are committed to training. If you remember, essentially, Paul says, hit the gym. Go to the gym of your heart. And our gym as Christ followers is the spiritual disciplines, not an isolated or once in a great while event, but a lifestyle, a rhythm, a regular rhythm that is devoted to pursuing God's growth in our lives. And along those lines, there on the front of your note sheet, I love how Ruth Haley Barden puts it. She's an incredible leader and Bible teacher, and she writes that this journey, in other words, this journey of training that we talked about last week, this journey requires a willingness to say goodbye to life as we know it because our heart is longing for something more. Would you circle that word? More. And so there, again, if you're brand new, on the front of your note sheet, that QR code will take you right to the previous messages so you can catch up. And so what does it look like to experience more in the midst of a storm? And so there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled, Storms Are Coming. And we're gonna be spending some time in the Gospel of Mark this morning. I wanna invite you, if you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you've got your apps, turn them on. We're gonna be going to Mark chapter four. We're gonna be going to Mark chapter four. And as I've been doing recently, as you're turning there, as you're getting ready to go into God's word, can I invite you to just take one or two deep breaths? And again, it's just a simple act that pauses and focuses us. And as we go into reading God's word, just in the stillness of your heart, would you just pray, Holy Spirit, would you teach me through God's word this morning? Amen. Mark chapter four, starting at verse 35, and get ready to mark it up, Rocky Peak. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And so the scene is transitioning. Earlier in Mark's chapter, Jesus has been on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and this is the end of a long day of ministering, of teaching to large crowds that have come to hear Jesus. And I wanna just build a visual for the boat that they're taking across the sea. Andre, would you throw that artwork up? 
If you look at this artwork that's going up, that boat is likely a representation of what they were using to travel. This kind of represents a typical, at that time, Galilee fishing boat. No bells, no whistles, very, very simple, okay? So as we continue, verse 37, a furious squall. Would you underline or highlight that? A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping. Would you underline or highlight that? Sleeping. He was exhausted. The guy was out. Jesus is in the stern, sleeping on, the, on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Would you underline or highlight that entire phrase? Because it's awesome. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now let's unpack what's going on. And again, I want you to keep the image of that boat in your mind. And so, that, so when we think about the geography around the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee itself sits very low, sits very below sea level. And some, with some of the surrounding mountains and their elevation, that juxtaposition of the geography accounts for very sudden weather changes. And sometimes these sudden changes are very violent weather changes. So that word squall I had you underline, another way you could translate the original Greek word is the word hurricane, to be able to describe what they're experiencing. So now imagine you're in a glorified rowboat with no modern re regulation or anything else, and you're experiencing a hurricane-type type storm, and so these life long fishermen, which some of the disciples were, were absolutely terrified. And so one thing that I love that they did in their terror is they went to Jesus. Now you saw the boat, they didn't have to go far. They went to Jesus and they woke him up, but they were absolutely confused that Jesus was at peace. And so they asked a very honest question. Why don't you care about this? And at first glance, there can be a temptation to be kind of judgy to the disciples. But if we take a moment to empathize with them, we realize that we can relate with the disciples when we're in our storms, right? Maybe you haven't used those words, but have you ever honest in the midst of pain, crisis, the unexpected sin, whatever your storm is, have you ever found yourself going, God, why don't you care about this storm? God, why are you not providing a way out? God, why are you not moving? Many of us in this room have experienced that pain of God seeming be, seemingly being indifferent to the storms in our life. And so I think with that, we can relate with the disciples, can't we? Where they are freaking out and they look at Jesus going, why is he not doing anything? It's important that we make this emotional connection. And so as we continue, verse 39, Jesus got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Verse 40, he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Would you underline or highlight that? Do you still have no 
faith. And so what Jesus just did in rebuking the storm is that he did what only God can do. It was the voice of God that created all things to begin with, and it's only the voice of God that can bring creation into submission. And so again, you see the authority of Jesus not just to calm the storms, but the authority of Jesus brings peace in the midst of chaos. Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Would you underline or highlight that? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The storm had come, it had passed. What were they terrified of? Jesus. Because what do storms have the power to do in our lives? They have the power to reveal that our understanding of Jesus is way too small. They thought they knew. They had been walking with Jesus. They had been partnering with Jesus. They had seen Jesus do some incredible and some miraculous things. They thought they knew. And the storm revealed that they had a glance, but not a full picture. Man, what about those times when you thought you knew? It's cute, right? When we think we knew, and then all of a sudden the storm hits and we sit there and go, I don't know anything. And so that's not a point of failure, that's a point of opportunity. Jesus is saying, do you still not know who I am? And so what is Jesus gonna go on to do? I'm going to show you. I'm going to lead you, I am going to remind you. And so as we leave our scripture, this is again how we experience more in the midst of the storm. There in your note sheet, we've got a big picture truth that's broken into two statements. The first one, the first fill-in is this, that gaining a bigger view of Jesus. And so often storms reveal that our view of Jesus is smaller than we realize. And so what we need is we need to gain a bigger view. And so what I mean by a bigger view is not collecting more facts about Jesus. We don't gain a bigger view of Jesus through facts. We gain a bigger view of Jesus through encounter, through pursuing his person, his presence, his identity in our life. And we do that through the training we've talked about, spiritual disciplines, gaining a bigger view of Jesus that leads us into the next villain anchors us deeper in him. Gaining a bigger view of Jesus anchors us deeper in him. And would you put a big circle around the word anchor? Because that is important image for what we're unpacking together. And so with that, Andre, would you throw that picture up on the screens? Think about an anchor. And think about the purpose of an anchor. So that's a beefy boy, isn't it? But to me, this image is so powerful when you stop to think about what's the point of an anchor. The point of an anchor is to dig into solid ground and one of the purposes of it is to bring a level of stability when the weather turns rough. And so here's the thing, when the storms hit, we panic. When the storms hit, when that storm hit, the disciples weren't pa were panicking. When the storm hit, what was Jesus doing? He was completely at 
peace. And so what does that teach us today? That's who we need to be anchored in. Because when everything falls apart, when everything is scary, when we don't know what to do, Jesus is the one person that is not freaking out. You know why? Because he knows full well what God can do. He knows full well that this storm is not going to overtake the power of God. And here's the beautiful thing that we learn from this account. Jesus knew the storm was coming, and what did he do? He chose to get in the boat. Jesus is in your boat. As simple as that metaphor can sound, Jesus is in the boat with you. And too often in life, I fall into this trap of trying to anchor myself in unstable ground. Too often I've tried to anchor myself in my own ideas or my own wisdom or my own solution. Too often I've tried to anchor my life in ever-changing circumstances. I find that often inadvertently I'm trying to anchor my life in my own fears, in my own failures, in my own ideas. And what I see is none of that is gonna bring the stability in the midst of the storm that only Jesus can. Being anchored in Jesus means we are anchored in the one thing that is never gonna change because the storm storm is going to bring different circumstances. It feels like day to day things can go change for in a moment's notice, but Jesus never will. He is the stability in the boat and that is the solid ground to be anchored in. And so how do we gain a bigger view of Jesus? How do we anchor ourselves deeper? By training. By going back to what Paul said to Timothy last week. Train yourself for godliness. And a key way that we do that as Christ followers is the spiritual disciplines. And I used this definition last week that a spiritual discipline is a regular activity, not a once in a while activity, not an isolated event, but a regular activity within our power to do. I love that. You don't need a PhD to pray. Believe it or not, you don't need a PhD to open up God's word. A regular activity within our power to do that helps root us deeper in Jesus. And to use our key word today that helps anchor us deeper in Jesus. And so when the storms hit and they are gonna hit, God leads us to experience more, his greatest thing of all, the power of Jesus by allowing us to root ourselves deeper in him. And so again, as we talk about this lifestyle of training there in your note sheet, Dr. John Coe is a professor at Talbot Biola University down in Orange County. And he says this, that this training is an unusual training not merely a training in fortitude, but a training in dependence. Would you circle that word dependence? I love that because for the times of peace and the times of storm, what we are doing by anchoring ourselves in Jesus is we are declaring beautifully, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. I need you. And as Christ followers, that posture of I need you is the strongest posture we can take. And so what I want to do with the time that we have left is I want to get really, really practical with you. And so there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled Lowering the Anchor. And what I'm going to walk through is I'm going to walk through four 
categories of spiritual disciplines. And within these four categories, I'm gonna give you a couple of practical ways that we can train through these spiritual disciplines. Some of these categories are gonna be known, some of these are gonna be new to some of you, some of these are gonna be things that are parts of some of your regular rhythms, some of these are gonna be things that are challenging as we go through this. Now the intent as I walk through these four is not to do an exhaustive deep dive in any of the four, but I'm hoping to give you enough to be able to take a next step as the Lord is leading. So you ready to go? All right, so there on that note sheet, lowering the anchor, the first category is this, the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. The spiritual discipline of spending time in silence and solitude. Now let me define this briefly. Silence in solitude is the discipline of carving out intentional time. And for the sake of clarity, for our purposes, intentional means scheduled. Intentional scheduled time to pause, to take a brief step out of the noise of life. Man, life is noisy, huh? But hear me, not to run away from the noise, but to pause it, to take a step out, to be in the presence of Jesus and not talk. We do a lot of talking. I do a lot of talking. I do a lot of talking in my relationship with Jesus and that is good. That is an invitation I'm given. But what I realize is there is power in the silence. And the reason why there is power in the silence is how do you know that any sort of relationship, a friendship or a marriage or a parent-child relationship has achieved a level of depth when you can simply be with one another without words? What I realize is too often in our spiritual lives, we can come to Jesus with an agenda and not for the purpose to be and enjoy. Too often when I'm trying to understand the voice of God in my life, it's getting caught up in all of the noise, the cacophony, if you will, of everything else going on, that if I truly wanna hear God, if I wanna be able to discern his voice above others, I need to intentionally take some time where I pause all the other noises. I step out to be and learn to listen. There on your note sheet again from Ruth Haley Barden, the invitation to solitude and silence is just that. It's an invitation to enter more deeply into the intimacy of relationship with the one who waits just outside the noise and the busyness of our lives. And below that, Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. And do you notice the progression in that Psalm? How do we know more of who God is? In stillness. You know, let me illustrate it this way. I've mentioned throughout the years that if I'm shopping or running errands without any of my family members with me, I usually pop in headphones. One, I'm a massive introvert and it keeps me safe. But secondly, the reason I do that is I just think life is more exciting with a soundtrack. 
And so I remember just not that long ago, I was going to Target. I was in the parking lot of Target and there were a lot of noises going on. There were sirens and honking on the street. There were shopping carts flailing around. There were families. There was a lot of just chaotic noise. And I turned on my song and I put in my AirPods and the noise canceling feature turned on and everything just paused. And I could hear the one thing I wanted to hear. That's what silence and solitude is all about. It's a beautiful discipline, but it's one that requires training. And so practically, if you feel like the Lord is saying, let's train this way, here's a couple of tips to help get you started. I would encourage you to start by simply attempting it for 10 minutes. And 10 minutes may sound short, but when you're trying to be silent, it feels like a long time. But I think 10 minutes is a good goal in as quiet of a place as you can find. Again, as parents, we gotta get creative sometimes. And so for some of you, maybe there is a bedroom or a backyard in which you can find a quiet place. For some of you, it might be on a walk or it might be on a hike or somewhere outside. For some of you, and again, as a parent, my quiet place has often been a car or a bathroom. The place itself doesn't matter. It's wherever I can get that time. And it's there in your note sheet, 10 minutes in as quiet of a place as you can find it. And all you need to do is just say that simple prayer, Jesus, here I am. Jesus, here I am. And let him do the rest. And the last thing before I leave this point, give yourselves grace. You're gonna get distracted. If you're starting this discipline for the first time, you haven't trained for it yet. And so it's going to feel hard. It's gonna feel challenging. Your mind is gonna wander a thousand different, in a thousand different directions, which I heard it put once, if your mind wanders in a thousand different directions, it's a thousand different opportunities to come back. And so give yourself some grace. And so that's the first uh, category of discipline, silence and solitude. So the second one, number two, is the spiritual discipline of the word. Spiritual discipline of the word. And with that, let's start with a little bit of heart. There from Psalm 46. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. See, we touched on this a little bit last week, but we can approach certain disciplines. In particular, we can approach the discipline of being in the word of God with boredom or with a obligation or with a sense of duty. And to be able to train through the word of God, we need a renewed heart. And one thing that helps renew our hearts is that when the Bible describes itself, when the Bible, when the biblical authors are describing the word of God, they never talk about it from the sense of boarding, but they talk about it from a sense of joy. I gave you an example out of the Psalms. It's not in your note sheet, but Psalm 119 is the largest chapter in the entirety in the entire Bible. 176 verses. And the focus of Psalm 119, it is a massive love song devoted to the written word of God. And what I love when you work your way through Psalm 119 is that the author is being honest that he has experienced pains and storms in his life, but he is constantly brought back to joy because of God's word. 
The Psalms often describe the word of God as an anchor in the midst of our storms. And so with that, I wanna give you two practices that we can use to train through the word. The first one is this, that's the fill in, praying the scriptures. Praying the scriptures. And what I love about this discipline is that it's beautifully simple. What it means to pray the scriptures is that we sit down and we read or we listen to a a couple of passages, a section of scripture, and based on what we read or heard, we pray that. We let that lead our prayers. So let me give you an example. Over the last several weeks, I have been spending most morning praying through the Psalms. I love the Psalms of the Old Testament. And so I'll take one psalm at a time, and as I read through it, I'll find myself pausing at different intervals and just letting that lead me in prayer. And a couple of weeks ago, I was praying through Psalm 4, and this isn't in your note sheets, but verse 7 says, fill my heart with joy. And I paused on that because I kind of felt like the Lord poking, hey, read that and reread that but I didn't fully know why. And again, I just felt the Lord poking, keep reading, keep reading, keep absorbing, keep taking this in. And then the Lord opened my eyes. Man, these last four months have been a heck of a storm in my life, in the life of my family. Man, these last four months have been terrible with my chronic health issues. They've brought a lot of stress in broken relationships. That has brought a lot of hardship that has knocked us off course And what the Lord was showing me was, you're losing your joy. But he is the source of my joy. And in that, the Lord was reminding me, Dre, let me be your joy. Not your circumstances, not your loss, not in trying to fix what's broken. Let me nothing else, be your joy. And I began to pray that, God, thank you for reminding me and thank you for being my joy. And here's why I share that example. Joy was a prayer I needed to say desperately, but I would have never thought to do it on my own. It was through the scripture that led me to that prayer. So I find that to be a powerful method. So that's the first one. The second one, the next felon is this, memorization. Memorization. This is the discipline of equipping ourselves with God's word in our heads and in our hearts, with God's truth being with us always, whether we have a physical or a digital Bible with us. And I've talked about memorization in the past. In fact, I've called it the unsung hero of spiritual disciplines in the past because for so many of us, there is hardly a Christ follower in this room that would say, I don't want God's word memorized in this, but this one is so intimidating to so many of us. It's intimidating to me because often we are very aware of the fact that our memories are flawed. I'm not being facetious about this. I have a terrible memory. If you think I know your name, there's a 90% chance I don't. (laughs) And believe me, it's not because I haven't been trying. It just feels like things don't stick. 
stick like they once you once did. And I've tried memorizing scripture before and I can get kind of close, but I always feel disappointed in myself or unsatisfied. And again, I realize I have an unrealistic picture. See, when I was a junior in high school, I had this English teacher whose memory was a steel trap and he was incredibly humble and incredibly gracious, but seemingly he had the entire Bible memorized. And so for the entirety of my life since then, I would often falsely go, that must be the bar, right? If you're gonna engage in memorizing scripture, it's either all or nothing. And the joy is that it doesn't have to be. That guy, that's how God made him. For us, we were made beautifully different. And so when it comes to memorizing scripture, we have to start with a renewed heart. Many of us start on the foundation of all the why nots, of all the reasons why we can't, of all the reasons why this isn't gonna work, and no wonder it doesn't work. Instead of starting memorization on the why nots, we start on the foundation of we get to. We get to commit God's word to our heart. We get to commit God's word to our memory. If it takes three years to commit a single verse, that's three years you got to spend wrestling and committing with God's word in your heart. That is awesome. And so we get to. And so if the Lord might be calling you to train this way, a couple of practical tips. One, like I just said, do it at your speed. All of us are built to memorize and absorb differently. No comparison. Do it at your speed. And secondly, do it based on your preferred learning style. Some of you are visual. So the way you're gonna memorize is I'm a visual learner. I often will take screenshots of Bible verses. We will print them out and put them in the refrigerator or other places of our house so I can see it and read it and reread it. Some of you, the best way to learn is audio, is to have it read to you, to hear it recited out loud. Some of you, your best learning style is tactile or kinesthetic, maybe writing. Some of you have an art ability where I've seen people memorize scripture through drawing it out and giving pictures. There is a lot of creativity that we can use. One thing that I didn't even know existed was about two months ago, Megan came home and said, hey, I want to memorize scripture. And I found this uh, subscription service called Dwell. And Dwell are these temporary tattoos that you put on your wrist and it basically acronyms certain verses and it helps you memorize. Andre, would you show that picture up? So this is what she's memorizing right now, Romans 12, 12. And so if you see the letters, okay, I didn't do this last night and I don't think I'm gonna be able to do it this morning, but let's try to do it together. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I had a visual, how creative. And look at how that worked. I had no idea that was out there. And so what is this teaching me? Man, memorization can actually be fun. So memorization. Third category is the spiritual discipline of prayer. The spiritual discipline of prayer. And if you were here last week, this is the back page that I cut out. It's just been modified a little bit. 
And there's two specific ways to pray, but they're framed by that verse out of Matthew chapter six right there. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then it goes on to verse 12, and forgive us our debts. And so this is the model that Jesus gave us to pray. And there's two key practices, disciplines of prayer in this uh, scripture. The first one, the first fill-in is this, is raw and honest. Is that we want to anchor ourselves deeper in Jesus, then we need to practice the discipline of our prayers becoming raw and honest. And what I mean by that is the Lord's Prayer, I'm going to use my favorite word, are you ready? Is extraordinary. And the Lord's Prayer is extraordinary for multiple reasons, but in particular, that opening petition, our Father, Jesus is inviting us to call God what he calls God. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has made a way for you and I to have relational intimacy with God the Father. And one key way that builds relational intimacy is authenticity, is honesty, is vulnerability. And so the Father is inviting us, pray honestly. And for multitudes of reasons, so many of our prayers are surface level. So many of our prayers don't go deeper than thank you for this food. So many of us, we are holding back, maybe because we don't want to acknowledge the reality of the situation. Maybe like me, I think I'm being disobedient or a bad soldier for God if I tell him I'm scared or I'm I'm doubting. And what I look at scripture is that God is the one inviting us to a deeper intimacy in prayer. If we go back to the Psalms, these poems, these songs, they are prayers. And what we see in the Psalms is the different authors expressing to God their anguish, their depression, their doubt, their feelings of abandonment, their, uh, their feelings of abandonment, their anger towards God. God, where are you? Why are you letting my enemies run after me? Psalm 88 ends with, you have taken me from me family and friend, darkness is my only friend. That's an incredibly honest prayer. And why does God put that model for us to follow? Because it's in raw and honest prayers that we experience a deeper intimacy and sense of God's presence with us. God is not about beating around the bush. God is about truth. And he invites you, don't hold back with me. What do you honestly want to say? I'm not naturally good at this. There are people that are. But I've experienced the firsthand through this training as God has invited me to say prayers that are filled with tears and sobs. God has invited me to say prayers that are filled with raw words and sometimes words I wouldn't use in polite company. God has invited me to say prayers that are filled with accusations at him. Where are you? Why aren't you? Why does it seem like you don't care? God has invited me to say honest prayers filled with pleading, please do this, please come through. And that hasn't necessarily changed the circumstances, 
But in this rhythm of training, it's led me to experience a peace. I'm yelling at you because you're here. You're here. Thank you. I needed that. Thank you for not being shocked by my honesty. Thank you that you're strong enough to take it. And so for some of you, your pursuit of growth needs to come from the discipline of not holding back and telling God the truth. That's the first section of prayer. And the second one is regular repentance. Forgive us of our debts. In other words, forgive us of our sins. And what I love about this discipline is that it's a proactive discipline. Sometimes we fall into this trap that when it comes to repentance, we wait until something is blown up in our faces. We wait until there's a reason to repent, so to speak. But what Jesus models for us in the Lord's Prayer is that when we choose to be proactive in a regular rhythm of God search my heart, of God bring conviction to my life, what we are saying is God remove and deal with anything that is keeping me from transformation. God remove and deal with anything that is keeping me from being more like you. A prayer of regular repentance is again being intentional. It's scheduling time to go before the Lord and say, Jesus, what is getting in the way? I need your eyes. Jesus, what don't I want to acknowledge? There's the raw and honest part. Jesus, what do I just genuinely don't see? I need you to be able to probe deeper. And here's what I love about this. I didn't write the whole petition out, but many of you know it goes, forgive us of our sins so that we can then forgive others. And so what happens through the act of repentance? We are now empowered to do what Jesus does. That's transformation. And that's why repentance is so key. So for some of us, our next step of training is through the act of regular repentance. So the last category, number four, is this, fasting. <laughs> and I always feel the emotional temperature in the room just drop when I, when I say that. Just, just go with me here. Fasting. Again, simply put, fasting is abstaining from some or all food for a specific period of time for the purpose of focusing on the Lord. Often people will fast for a specific prayer focus. I'm gonna talk about it generally that we're choosing to fast so that we can be more aware of God's presence in our lives. And I think that fasting develops and trains us to be stronger in one key area, and that's there on your note sheet, this fill-in, is that fasting trains, us to, trains a new level of dependence on the spirit. Fasting trains a new level of dependence on the Holy Spirit. And here's how it does it. Fasting is designed to be challenging. That's why so many of us don't do it. Fasting is designed to be challenging. So once a year around Easter time as a church, we take part in a beautiful give water beverage fast. And the intent of that week is that we take one week, at one, one week and instead of drinking coffee, soda, what other beverage, we commit to just drinking water for that week. We still eat our food. 
And the money we would have spent on other beverages, we then donate to be able to dig water wells in Africa. And over the years, I've noticed something that happens is that the majority of people choose to give more money than they normally would to make themselves feel better because they don't want to fast. <laughs> and do you know how I know you're doing it? Because I do it too. <laughs> and the fact that a lot of you have stopped making eye contact at this point. <laughs> But think about that. Let's apply that to our spiritual lives. I would rather write a bigger check than do something that's hard. And I'm speaking to my own heart here, so come with me, Rocky Peak. That's no way to train. If we avoid the hard, we are never gonna experience God's greater things. And again, I'm speaking to my heart. If we avoid the hard, we are never gonna experience the greater things that God has for us. And so if we truly wanna, all of us as Christ followers would say, yes, I am dependent on the Lord, but that doesn't naturally happen. We need to train. And fasting is one of the few things that trains us through putting us in this place of actual need. Fasting is hard. Fasting is a legitimate place of need. And it's in that place that God begins to grow our dependence on his spirit to meet our needs. There in your notes, Dallas Willard, one of my heroes, longtime author and philosophy professor at USC, and actually the author of the Hearing God book that our life groups are doing this next session, writes this. Fasting, which primarily concerns voluntary abstentation from food, all or some has the function of freeing us from having what we want. We learn to remain calm, serene, and strong when we are deprived, even severely deprived. Positively, we learn that God meets our needs in his own way. Now apply that to when you're in the storm. Wouldn't we say that we would want a deeper sense of calm, a deeper sense of peace, a deeper sense of trust, that God is going to meet us and provide for us in the storm, this is a way that we train for that. And so if you feel like the Lord is leading you to train through fasting, let me give you a couple practical examples. In fact, I'm gonna use the model. Several years ago, as a church, we spent a month fasting, and so I'm gonna share the same model we did back then. And so what I would say is pick three or four weeks and pick one day. Don't change the day per week, but for example, when we did it as a church, we did it on Wednesdays. So we did it over four Wednesdays and fast for two meals. So one day a week over the course of three or four weeks and fast for two meals. So usually breakfast and lunch and then break the fast at dinner. And when the hunger pains kick in, when the grumpiness hits, when you feel like I can't, I, I wanna quit 15 minutes into it. That is designed to lead us back to the Lord. To say, God, I need you to be all I need right now. God, I wanna quit. God, I don't wanna do this. God, I'm angry. God, I'm grumpy. I'm really mad at Dre in this moment. I don't want this. Help me. That's dependence. And that's what fasting grows in us. And so as we leave this, please hear my heart. I've kept repeating, 
is this how the Lord wants you to train? The intent by going through these four categories is not that you walk out of here ready to tackle all four. The intent is for this to get a conversation between you and God started. So before you set a plan, the most important step you can take right now is to go, Jesus, what do you want? Jesus, how do you want me to train? Is it one of these four? Is it one of these examples? Is it a different example that wasn't mentioned under one of these categories? Is it none of these four, but you got me asking the question and you want to lead me to train in a different way? God is the authority. We just want to give him the leadership. And so this is meant to get you started, but ultimately it's his call. And finally, let me go ahead and just close with one final picture. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on out. But as we've been talking about this, when we train, it anchors us. It opens our eyes to see the fact that we are not alone in the midst of our storms. And you know, as a father of three kids, one thing that's funny about kids is in fear and in anxiety, often kids, my kids will ask disaster-based questions. Dad, if this were to happen, what would we do? Dad, if this were to happen, what would we do? Dad, if an earthquake happened, what would we do? If this happened at my school, what would we do? Dad, if this happened with your health or if somebody got sick like this, what would we do? And it's in the course of those questions, I realize that there's one answer I can give them that brings peace. I don't fully know, but we'll face it together. If that does happen, we'll face it together and you're not gonna be alone. And Christ follower, that's the promise that Jesus gives us. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. The image of Jesus in the boat peacefully at sleep because he knows God is bigger than your circumstances. Jesus doesn't sleep to minimize your hurt, your pain, your stress, or your fear, but he shows you that he is not panicked, and it's an invitation to root ourselves deeper in him. And so as we go ahead and close our service, we want to celebrate that. We're going to do that through music, but if you also look around at the tables, we're going to do that through the act of communion. Communion is a reminder that nothing can hold Jesus down. When we take communion, the drink represents the blood that was shed for our sins. The bread represents the body that was broken on the cross. And we have a somber remembrance of this, but communion is not meant to be a dark affair because we celebrate communion because death was not the end of the story. Three days later, Jesus rose again. The storm of death has no claim on him. The storm has no claim on you. Jesus does, and he's in the boat. And so if you're here this morning and you've given your life to Jesus throughout this last song, we would invite you at your pace to go and take communion and then to come and sing this last song, which celebrates the fact that God has been the one in control throughout all of time. And we get to declare that together. So let's pray. Jesus, you are in the boat. Jesus, you are at peace. And Jesus we get to anchor ourselves deeper in you. And so again, I echo the words from the Apostle Paul from last week, Christ follower, go to the gym. And it's a joy too. Whether it's one of these four categories or something else, Jesus, you're our trainer. You lead us. And all of this is for the purpose of knowing you more. 
Thank you that this is not a have to. Thank you that we get to. Because of your death and resurrection, because of your gospel, we are free to pursue you. We are freed to pursue growth in you. We are free to a level of relational intimacy with God the Father only because of your grace. As we sing this song, as we celebrate your death and resurrection to community, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you continue to do. It's in your name, King Jesus, we all said, amen.